You know we're sponsored by Dr. Pepper. Really? Yeah. We're the number one podcast on the internet for Dr. Pepper. You know, you guys are making big moves, and I'm proud of you. For Dr. Pepper. Wait, so you're promoting Dr. Pepper in in hopes of, of, of getting a... Yeah, we're trying to get the bag. Absolutely. Yeah. Why not? Why wouldn't you be? Welcome to the Mock Stars Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Evan Kunai. Welcome back to the show. And we've got Christopher Ritter. What's up, Pepperheads? And a very special guest today. We have newcomer AJ Campbell. Hello. Thanks for having me. Welcome to the number one podcast on the internet for Magic the Gathering and Dr. Pepper. Today, we're doing a very special episode not only because we have AJ here, but because a question posed by a regular deli goer, Rick, who is a listener of the show now, asked me, how do I get into magic? Like, how do I, now they've been introduced, how do I go about becoming a better player, introducing myself, seeing more cards, all that stuff. So that is today's main topic. We're doing the Mock Stars Dr. Pepper Presents the guide to magic the gathering yes Woo. and AJ, a richard garfield game aj being the beginner here never having played magic we are going to try to present an argument that will get aj into magic and he will ask questions as they come up just just spit them out whenever they, as soon as it pops into your head just spit it out i don't care how it sounds what just you know it comes to you yeah, never even picked up a deck, so I'm sure I'll have plenty. Okay, sweet. Uh, we have a little pregame action, an exciting announcement. We just finished playing some games with Gavin Verhe. He was... Uh, he's, a, he's a notable member of the Magic community, if you he, would say. Well, he came by, and turns out he likes sandwiches a lot, so he came to... And we like Magic. And we like Magic. It works. And we played a bunch of games with him last night, and it was actually so much fun. Yeah, no, it was, it was really cool to see uh, what are the cards that uh, the designer of Magic thinks are fun and goofy and underappreciated and worth playing. Yeah, he's a super chill dude, and uh, we look forward to playing more games with Gavin in the future. Um, what do you think of the sandwiches? Oh, great question, AJ. <laughs> uh, he housed maybe 16 or 17 sandwiches. Full sandwiches. That they were, Damn. yeah, they were, famous. and we're talking like four foot party subs. I knew he had it in him. <laughs> yeah, now he housed a bunch. He uh, had some brownies and uh, cookies and all that good stuff. We had uh, quite the spread out for uh, giving the, sal- the salumi experience. Reiterate, great time. Yeah, uh, it's a great time. On to the main topic, since this is a pretty short episode. Before we get to that, if you'd like to support the show, you can do so by joining our Discord server. It's popping. You know that. Uh, we talk about Dr. Pepper. We talk about uh, deck. We talk exclusively about Dr. Pepper. There is, a- and if you talk about magic on the sideline, that's you know good for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah. channel discussion, like mm-hmm. or brew buddies, that's there for deck discussion or whatever. It, whatever you're feeling, whatever you're brewing, bring it up to the community. And we have. I mean, Dr. Pepper was brewing some with all those herbs and spices and whatever <sighs> in his soda. God, you know? twenty-three flavors. I cannot. Yeah. And that is a robust flavor profile. That is a resilient soda. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They get to the mid game. <laughs> they for do sure. for sure. Hardy, hardy, hardy soda. 
You can also support us by follow, uh, subscribing to us on YouTube, hitting that thumbs up, and ringing that bell for more notifications. And you'll get a notification for when we drop our gameplay video with Gavin Verhey. Stay tuned for that. Uh, you can also follow us on all major podcasting platforms. Be sure to leave a five-star review because uh, we kick serious butt. We're the number one podcast on the internet. So uh, You can edit this out if we can't say it, but we're going to be at MagicCon, right? Yeah, we yeah. are going to be at MagicCon. Uh, it's super exciting. We're going to have uh, a table for meet and greet, and we're also going to have a table locked down for games uh, on Friday. So it'd be pretty cool to see some people there uh, come jam some games with the mock stars. On to the main topic, the beginner's guide to Magic the Gathering. Now, for anyone listening to this, you're probably inundated. You probably know a lot about the game, or at least played a few games that's why we brought aj on the show she doesn't know a lot Mm -hmm. it's true but the big question is when you are introduced and you can be introduced in a plethora of ways hot pockets can do it apparently (laughs) (laughs) jesus can do it if if if, aj if you go to the grocery store there are magic the gathering branded hot pockets which do they come with exclusive like arena Yes, codes and do. stuff okay yep. yeah so if you're in the freezer section uh it's hot pockets uh you can go to the snack section they have cheez it's that look like magic like box the box looks like a pack of magic cards beautiful it's pretty cool um you know it, it depending on what format you get introduced to it can you know, like lead to a lot of questions in how the game is played because the game can be played pretty much an infinite number of ways there are so many different unique game pieces so it can be confusing on to like as to where to start or uh, how to even acquire cards in an effective way uh, that is going to help you grow and progress uh, as a player so let's get right into it i think the most important thing to sort of like get off the ground with this conversation is would that once you've been introduced to the game, it can all be very confusing and be a lot to swallow. They can be a pretty, pretty big, hefty bite of information. So the best way that I've found to sort of get involved with magic is to, one, the friend who got you involved or whoever got you involved, whatever piqued your interest, refer to that resource. Like, I, you know, That's going to determine like what format you're going to be playing, how mm-hmm. you're going to be playing it. Uh, that sort of thing. What yep. power level you're going to be playing at. Yeah, and yeah. Hon- honestly, the lowest power level that you, you can play at and get exposure to the most possible cards is by playing draft. And that so that's where I would start. If you've mm-hmm. been introduced to the game, either through Commander or, or 1v1 play with like Pioneer decks or something like that, take a step back, go do a draft, get exposed to the commons, uncommons, how they, how they all interact with each other because they're actually designed to interact with each other. And for AJ... Draft is a format of Magic the Gathering where everyone involved gets a bunch of packs and depending on the type of the draft, uh, either keeps those packs and builds decks out of them or opens packs and picks a card, passes along, and everyone takes turns doing that until all all the cards are gone. Uh, But it's highly randomized um, and you don't start with any cards. And so it levels the playing field in that way um, because everyone has access to, you know, the same pool of resources to start okay so i mean i guess a question that comes out of that is what what determines it you said it's a there's different types of drafts uh and sometimes they keep all one person keeps all the packs that they have 
Sorry. And one person keeps all the packs that they have? Yeah, so there's, there's different formats that you can do. Uh, the basic format, uh, I, I guess, uh, what should we talk about, Evan, do you For, think? Formatception. Uh, we have, uh, I think, honestly, pre-releases. Pre-release is probably the best way to do it. Yeah, and yeah, so that's called sealed. There's a format within the format. So limited is technically... Like we the, said, infinite ways to play. Yeah. Limited is, is the format that we are talking about currently, and that's where draft resides. Um, so draft and sealed are technically different things. Uh, sealed is generally like a pre-release where you get six packs of magic cards, and everyone has the satisfaction of opening those cards, get that nice, crisp, like factory-sealed smell, and then uh, you get to mm. keep those cards and build a deck out of them. That is one of my favorite ways to play the game and i've seen more beginners more, like people introducing their friends to magic via pre-release than pretty much any other like way i right? think that's a great way to do it because there's even more leveling going on because there is strategy to like when you're passing packs around like deciding hey what's a good first pick and then seeing later later down the line when you see that pack again oh what did everyone else pick um, there is, you know, strategy and experience can give you more of an advantage there. And it's a little, uh, maybe not so great for new players to jump right into that. Like I would say even, um, as an experienced player, someone who's been playing for like 30 years, when I draft on arena and I don't have a ton of experience with draft, I get my ass kicked. Like no matter what, <laughs> no matter how good I, I think my deck is just, yeah, yeah. There, there are a few pros. Yeah, yeah, people who've been, like, practicing with the same set over and over again to, like, min-max their builds. Okay. So, it, like, there is that level of competition, even at the draft level. But pre-release puts you all on the same level and says you're all getting six packs, and those are the cards you get to keep. Can you trade the packs between each other? Nope. Or is it... Okay. Nope. You get your cards. Yep. You get your cards and that's what you get. And so uh, what it does and why it's such a great way to introduce people to the game is it helps you build and grow as a deck builder. So if you are not like you are accustomed to the game you know there's five colors in the game you know that you need mana to acquire to be able to cast spells you need certain colors of mana and so expanding like broadening your color range to like three or four colors even five colors can be dangerous in a format where a lot of beginners exist because they don't quite know how to balance their mana pool or like their mana their resources so um generally when you start off you want to build like one color, two color, just to get a good idea of how the process goes from phase to phase to phase. And then uh, when you get comfortable with that, then you can grow and you can just keep going like, you know what? I am going to play three color. You know what? I am going to play four color. How many colors are there? There's five. There's five. Plus colorless. Yeah. Plus no color. Oh, yes. Yeah. Plus the lack of color, which is distinctively not a color for the purposes of the rules of the game. Yeah. Or I think uh, scientifically. I, I forget how that works. I, I, yeah, it's color the lights wreck. It's a, <laughs> it's some weird thing where uh, the uh, the good the thing about magic is that you read the card and you do what it says. The wording and the grammar is incredibly important. And so when something says you can add one mana of any color to your mana pool, notably that does not include colorless mana. So you okay. can't add a colorless mana to your pool, which is sometimes a unique okay. rules interaction. Okay. So there's also tens of thousands of pages of rules. Yeah. Literally tens of thousands of pages I mean, of rules. 
you know, coming into it as much as I knew, that my, the extent of my knowledge of magic was that there were colors. No idea oh. how many or, or uh, you know, what they, I'd assume it's some, is it some sort of, uh, you know, type type uh they have personalities the, the, the different colors are defined uh largely by what can and cannot happen in that slice of the color pie okay. um and when something breaks the restrictions of its color that's kind of a big deal or there needs to be a uh, mechanical or lore or some other reason justifying it in general okay yeah so you want to look out for those ones that act different out that act differently outside of their color for sure like there's okay. there's a card in so the five colors are black blue green red white and then colorless um and so uh blue is known for interacting on the stack i, I think is one of the big things it's known for and you don't need to get in the weeds on what that means right now it just means that you can like counter spells and you can you know interact with things before they actually resolve or happen you know you know like when we were yeah. playing D a couple weeks ago and someone cast counter spell on me the same company that makes D makes magic the gathering and so a lot of the inspiration can actually come from those fantasy role-playing games so if i'm hearing it right blue blue cards right mm -hmm. are, uh, yep used primarily for you know things that you would want to think ahead with yeah it, it, it blue is known as like a controlling type archetype okay um Wizards. And, and so breaking the color pie there's a card in black for example called withering boon which um is one white and one or oh, sorry one uh black and one colorless mana to cast and you can counter target creature spell and pay three life and so uh because it breaks the color pie um, what has to happen is they have to like nerf it. They have to, you know, make it a little bit worse than it would be if it were in its natural color. Okay. Which is why you lose life in the process. I see. So, so there's, a, there's a toll, a toll to be paid. Yep. Yeah. And that's a uh, characteristic of black. And so since every color has a personality, when you're becoming a deck builder, you're going to find that when you mix colors together, you're going to get like where green is very stompy, very nature focused, right? Big creatures stomping your face in. Like you combine that with white and all of a sudden you have controlled nature like in, in its sort of aspect. So where, um, you know, like blue red becomes this like aggressive control, you know, and stuff like that. So you can combine the colors in, in ways to create new play styles to embody your personality more uh so it's incredibly that that's the thing about the game that i think all of us who are experienced players love is the expression that you get through combining these colors and finding strategies that embody who you are as a strategist as a player as a person yeah it immediately makes me just think of uh multi-classing in D D. totally mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Yep. So, like, you can be a monk with uh, three levels in rogue and one level in wizard. If you know, if that is your personality, like, you you can do that alchemy to to get there. Yeah. Enough to hide, but I also like to use my fists. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. That does describe you, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not not totally inaccurately. Yeah. So, uh, getting started in draft, great way to start exploring your options there. Uh, about you know like hiding and using your fists. Um, there are also a lot of different ways that you can get involved with the game, uh, and this is going to come down to your community, right? Because your community can be one of the greatest support structures that you have in learning the game, teaching you the game, and showing you resources to develop 
more develop your knowledge of the game more Mm -hmm. so like and and, you know with your community too like probably number one is going to be pre-release um as a great way for beginners to get into the game and then with a little more complexity and knowledge of the game i think another great way is like commander pre-cons especially if you're going to pick pre-cons all on the same theme or were released in the same set and then they're all relatively the same power level um though you know they're complete they're it's a different format um, it's a hundred card format versus a forty plus card format for pre-release, um, okay. and it's a little more complex, right? Because you can only have like one of each card. The cards run from the entire history of Magic, um, so there's different mechanics at work. There's more obscure things going on, uh, just overall more complexity going on. But still uh, friendly to beginners at certain levels, and especially with the pre-cons, like that's the whole point. Okay. Right, and this is a format that I would say you level up. You level up to. You want to level up to this, um, just because there are like there are ways to search your library for certain things, and the the decks are are larger than normal. Where like in draft, you would create a forty card deck. This is now a hundred cards, and so your knowledge of you know how the game works and stuff like that would be um, it would have to be a little bit greater in order to play the deck effectively now you can learn the game by playing commander but it is a lot of exposure uh to a lot of new things it makes sense why that you know those little details make sense why that would be a you know a little more overwhelming than the 40 card but it like yeah and now is there you said it goes with commander it goes through the history of magic what is there a so so just i I just mean the card pool is so much larger so um pre-release like literally pre-release is it's going to be cards only from the most recent set so 274 276 like usually right around that number of cards and that includes basic lands so not even less what's the number of unique cards in magic Thirty thousand, something like that plus yeah yeah versus a card pool of 30,000 plus cards that might show up in one of those 100 card decks. Yeah. I see. Okay. And so there are ways, and I think that um, this is where you start to have the conversation of like building, like after you've grown a little bit as a player, you start getting into deck building uh, and you start getting into commander. Even if you buy a pre-con and you take it out for a spin or two, eventually you're going to see some cards that you're going to want to swap out and put new stuff in. This is now down to the responsibility of the community to keep you within uh, a, in your boundaries a little bit because uh, there was I remember a funny story when I was introducing Jordan to Magic and I had just bought an Umezawa Jite mm. and it was from the vault and it was eleven dollars and I told him and uh, he was trying to play ninjas and he really wanted to upgrade his uh, his Yuriko build and I told him I said. This is a great card. Sure. It's really good in Atraxa. That's the deck I have right now. And uh, what I don't want you to do is I want you... uh, Well, first, I want you to really consider Ritter's Warning and realize that you're about to spend $11 on a piece of paper. I am not going to encourage you to do that. It's one of those things that is a slippery slope. When you spend $11 on something, then $13 becomes justified. And so Mm -hmm. also... What's what's a a recent card that you've picked up that, you know, if we want to talk about the slippery slope? Yeah, uh, like uh, cash spent on something? Yeah, on a single card. On a single card. Uh, Just so you know what you're potentially getting into. Yeah. And this isn't even the most expensive card that you're going to want access to. Right. And so... um, 
there was a point in time where I was building for tournament and uh, the rest of the deck itself was worth about $8,000. And so I looked at that, the total cost, and I looked at the card that I wanted and I like shiny cards. And so in the snap of a finger, I justified paying $70 for a judge foil land tax. And does it does it being shiny add anything to its uh, usability, its effectiveness? Nope. Nope. Anyway. Although, maybe, I, I will say, uh, th- there is a thing, I'm a strong believer that, you know, uh, pilot is more important than deck. Like, and so... Pilot. But the person playing the deck is more important oh, than the contents okay. of the deck. Okay. Um, and so, people, I, I have a personal theory that people play better when they play with cards that they like. And so, there's limits to that. Like, you know, you have to play mostly good cards. But if you know that you can top deck your favorite card and it can kind of be okay, you're going to be a better player and you're going to make better decisions. That makes sense. Yeah, I mean, you become more comfortable with strategies the more you play them. Uh, and just so you know, the cards are more effective when they're foil. Thank you. <laughs> oh. And, uh, yeah, it, so, um, like, the reason being, I play three colors pretty much exclusively, and it's red, green, and white, Naya. And it's just because that is uh, the set of colors that embodies who I am. And so now that I've been playing it long enough, I have an insight into that strategy, or I know my lines of strategy better than my opponents who are trying to counter my lines of strategy so I can actually um, more effectively, I guess, work around those things. You know, so okay. as you as you learn and develop, you'll in consistently play. You should play all five colors uh, to figure out who you are. You know, right as a player. Um, but experiment. You, yeah, once you yeah. once you fall into your realm of like your comfort zone, it's good to break out of it every now and again. Yeah, I, I mean, because you know, the five individual colors have their own identities. But then, like we're saying, with mixing the different colors, they have different aspects of those identities. And maybe, you know, you see that you like green, but you can really dial that in to the point where it's like, actually, I like green with a good bit of red and like a splash of black because I like this, this, and this and the way they come together. Um, It can get really complex. Yeah, I mean, the whole thing seems complex for sure. But, uh, you know, yeah, having little you know, flavor accents with the, like, thing you main, it seems like it's, you know, makes a, takes it a long way as far as how players would go. And I would say, like, EDH more than other formats, too, like, encourages uh, you expressing your identity through what you're doing. Like, that, that is kind of the whole point of the format, almost, and what that make, what makes that so friendly to people, I think. A hundred percent. And I think that um, the fact that EDH is also four-player, a lot of these other formats are only two-player, where you play, you know, 1v1. And, and it's strictly competitive. Yeah, and that's the thing, is that, like... Even if you're just having fun, you are... It's a zero-sum game. Like, somebody has to win, somebody has to lose. Trying to win. I, I yep. Getcha. And there's rewards for winning. Like, you get a pack. So there's, there's a, the opportunity oh. to see more cards, and there's opportunities to... Uh, open that pack and receive, you know, serialized collector's edition cards, which are worth hundreds of dollars. So that's a big motivating factor for a lot of the people who play competitively is one more pack could be you getting a crazy pull or getting the chase card from the set. So, um, yeah, uh, Commander being the four-player format, and uh, it's very political. It's also very community-driven. So, like, 
you can take your time. You can actually sit there and, and like ask the table for uh, criticism or, or, or for advice or, you know, like, hey, what's it? I'm going to do this. You think it's a good idea? And it can sort of help guide you as a, you know, I, as I, a player. I would say it's more like D&D where like D&D is not a game so much as collaborative storytelling, right? Mm-hmm. Like everyone's getting together to go on this journey together. And that's, you know, EDH is similar in that way, except for there is ultimately a winner of the of the individual game like one out of the four people can only one person can win um but as you get there uh you know it's really about like evan says you know everyone at the table talking to each other about hey how's this game proceeding what should each of us be doing how should we each be playing our role and contributing here um something if you play edh you're going to encounter is do you feed the fish or do you pay the tax? Right. Um, there's certain cards that will enable, uh, you know, it, their controller to draw extra cards, get extra resources, basically. Um, card draw is one of the best effects in Magic. And so, uh, in an EDH game, often players will encourage people to pay the tax so that the person controlling that permanent doesn't get those extra cards. Right? Don't let someone run away with the game. All three of us, even though we're each trying to win, we all have to contribute to letting this person not win this fourth person so we're in this together while at the same time competing okay that kind of kind of makes sense so so edh is the less uh you know streamlined i'm trying to win i'm trying to yeah there's there's lots of routes to to winning and like you know within like your pod the group of people that you play edh with too there's going to be preferences in play style and power level and things like that some people like really quick games some people like long games that take like two hours and lots of silly things happen in the process okay um there there's and you know many stops in between those two extremes yeah i like those types yeah, I but. think that it, even like the what a beautiful way to describe it like the D&D reference is just like was gorgeous Ritter that like thank you really put it in place um and uh like you can still feel like you've won even if you don't actually walk away with with a win because you told your story you interacted it a certain way you know you got to see what your deck did mm-hmm. and, and that sometimes that's just fulfilling enough to continue uh going down this path as a magic player you know there are many times where it's just like uh you look at three different cards that you've never seen together before and you're like it would be pretty cool i think this is how the rules work that if i did this then this and if i this in my hand and i play it something really wild will happen but ah man i i just it's it's never gonna happen in the game and then you play enough games that rng it happens and then you lose that game you still got to see the thing happen, which is awesome. You have the proof now. Yes, exactly. It, yeah. So it's like, like uh, what's the other one? Out the other one, not EDH. But oh, limited like draft. Limit. So that yeah, limited. From what I'm hearing, correct me if I'm wrong. It's more get the gold, and EDH is more get the knowledge, like grow, as opposed to just you know like grow in wisdom as opposed to grow in in prize. Yeah, and, and honestly. Um, eventually you will get there to the point like you grow uh, yeah you get there you gain the knowledge and um, you know eventually you get to the point where 
we've talked about this on previous episodes where uh, the card pool starts to shrink because you start seeing the good cards, the ones that you like to play the most, and all of a sudden your your spectrum of, of strategy until new cards are released sort of like narrows because you figure out, you know, like, and then that's when you start going for the gold. That's when you start, like, playing for, you know, uh, satisfaction of, of potentially winning a game. Okay. That's not everyone's path, though. Yeah, I... I um, I, I don't also, know what point I was about to make. Continue. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I can also just wait. Wait. No, keep going. <laughs> well, you probably stopped me from uh, describing EDH in a much worse way. Um, I can describe it in reference to Star Wars Episode One, if you'd like. I, I know it. Phantom oh. Menace. Oh yeah, you're familiar with the film. Oh yeah. Oh, of course. <laughs> Do you remember when Anakin Skywalker is pod racing? <laughs> Who could forget? One of the greatest sequences <laughs> in cinema, and. Yeah. Yeah. Big Sebulba fan. You're a big Sebulba fan? You're going <laughs> to love this reference. Yeah, okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, you know Annie. when, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know when Annie uh, catches up to Sebulba and he's about to pass him, and Sebulba's like, this ain't happening. Or, or no, earlier in the race, he's like, Sebulba's sort of like sour, and so he busts off that little thing, and then Anakin takes off, and eventually that little thing flies off and you can see on his little terminal screen four bars they're all green and at the mid-level to start start the race and that's how he knows his engines are functioning properly like the the turbine layout yes yeah yeah, yeah. exactly right and so you see like after that thing breaks off everything's out of parity like the whole engine system is like funky it means like this engine's way stronger than this engine and so throughout the game like Anakin's like sitting there flipping the switches trying to figure out he's trying to repair and fixing and these are your players in the game who are interacting with the problem and then eventually they all level it out and Anakin is able to cross the finish line <laughs> as a winner because everyone succeeded so and all the all the engines were balanced is that did that paint a better picture yeah, I mean, like, it just sort of sounds that like... That very clear metaphor about yeah. pod racing in episode one. <laughs> so it's just sort of a, It's just sort of like a step away from chaos the whole time until it all comes to a... Yeah. Wow! Yes. Wow! Yes. That's what you took away from that? <laughs> well, I mean... That was if perfect! He didn't, if he didn't... If he it didn't was a very clear metaphor. <laughs> if he didn't fix his, his turbine through the... He would have blown up, like, half the rest of the race. Exactly my <laughs> or maybe, point! Or maybe all the rest of the racers? I don't remember. Jeez. I can't remember. I think but, most of the racers blew up. I think, yeah, I yeah. think it was just Sebulba and Annie by the end yeah. of it. There's a pretty big body count in uh, pod racing. A lot of casualties for yeah. two, two racers. Well, life is cheap on Tatooine, as we know. We do know. Yeah. Wow. Oh, um, okay, so... It's getting heavy here. Yeah. As, there are a lot of other formats in the game, and you can also be introduced to the game and grow within these other formats. EDH just happens to be the largest, most popular format at the moment. There are a few ways to learn how to play the game that if you're just interested, like we talked about with the Hot Pockets and the Cheez-Its, you can also... Uh, download Arena on your phone or computer. And that's great if you don't have a community of people. Um, exactly. Or even if you do, but, you know, they're not, it, it can be hard, much like D&D, mm-hmm. getting everyone in one place, yeah. you know. And this is honestly probably the best way for someone to be uh, guided by a professional hand in playing the game. Because once you download it, it's actually going to run you through a tutorial, regardless of whether or not you know how to play the game. So that's, uh, you know, a good and a bad thing, just depending. But it's going to show you how to tap for mana, how to use your resources. And then it's also going to teach you how 
to manipulate the stack or how the stack works and teach you every single phase of the game as well. So there's all of these okay. things that come together. Turn order. Turn order, like how you progress through turns, uh, you know, untap, upkeep, stand, or yeah, untap, upkeep, draw, main phase, combat, main phase, and set. Jargon, jargon, jargon. Yeah, <laughs> yes. Again, a complex game. Which yeah. is why you need these other, these different inroads, limited and EDH and arena, to to kind of you know dip your toes in because it can be super overwhelming if you're new to it. Mm-hmm. And so this is where yeah, the yeah. conversation of constructed comes up, and that's a whole new term. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, just everything you've thrown at me is you know it's not overwhelming, but definitely could dig into more understanding. Right. Uh, yeah, and so I think I'd have to play though. You know? Right, and we'll get you a deck. <laughs> Uh, right. We'll die. We'll make you dive right into EDH soon. I'll come with you. Whatever, whatever, whatever game store you go to. Nice. Let me know when you're going, and I'll come with you. We're going to Phoenix. Um, but constructed format is actually 60 cards. Where limited draft was 40. This is 60. EDH is 100. And okay. this is a format where you can have four copies of any card in the deck. And this is probably the most common way that people were introduced to the game before Commander became the most popular format. Uh, because it was a way to refine strategies so that you could actually give someone a deck and say, this is what the deck wants to do. This is how it wants to take steps forward. And that was a great way to teach players how to play the game. It's honestly how I learned how to play the game. And look at me now. Right? Right? (laughs) (laughs) I have no uh, no comparison, Evan. You and Jordan Ritter are the only ones that I... I know that know that play. Yeah, and honestly, I co- I commend Jordan. He's not here today, but I would give him a really I would give him a crisp high five for persevering after I just threw him into the into the pool of EDH and said, "Have fun." You know? Well, I mean, kind of uh, that is though the format that was probably like most suited towards Jordan. Totally. Yeah. Uh, his vast, like his grasp of games, like in general, he's always min-maxing. So the ability to give him an endless pool of, of uh, resources to look at and uh, research to do, he's that kind of like guy who loves to do, well, obsessive research when mm-hmm. he finds like strategies that he enjoys, like his Angelo deck. He's still researching that deck and he's going to figure it out eventually and it's going <laughs> to, we're going to have problems with it for a long time. So uh, yeah, I, I mean, so that's like a factor that can play into it. Like, hey, how should you dip your toes into magic? Like, you know, uh, when you play video games, do you like to pick up a game for a couple hours and then not play it for a couple weeks? Maybe then pre-releases for you. Yeah, you know. But if you're obsessive, like if you're just like, uh, I gotta, you know, get the platinum trophy on, you know, Zelda. Uh, if you're that kind of person, maybe EDH is more your style. I'm definitely like specifically obsessive when it comes to to games and stuff you know wouldn't never wouldn't call myself a gamer to any degree but you know there's things that catch my eye that i lean all the way into mm-hmm. you know yeah little, if you see little a, bits. yeah if you see a card on that table and you're like what's that card you know and you're just like curious and then all of a sudden it leads down this rabbit hole where you're just like i now know everything and all the interactions with that card if you're that kind of player edh is the game for you yeah no i'm I very i very much like to find my comfort zone and master it you know Totally. Or, try or to if you're strictly competitive, probably constructed best of three, and there's you know different formats within that, and things like that, where it, you know the whole thing is competition, mm-hmm. uh, and cl- you know on arena they call it climbing the ladder, like uh, the 
the monthly rankings reset and okay. people you know are chasing different tiers of that trying to reach mythic which is the highest tier and then once you reach mythic you can make yourself miserable trying to grind to be one of the top thousand players within mythic and know what number player you were in the world for that month of the you know hey ritter that sounds a lot like what you did that is exactly what i did uh <laughs> i uh ha- have stayed away from arena uh in the past few years, it, you know, I tend to get uh, into that competitive mode uh, to the point where I was not enjoying the game so much as grinding to, to you know, get the result. Yeah, and Jordan could testify to that too because he tried climbing the ladder in standard and was just met with just like brutal beatdowns. Mm-hmm. Like he'd climb, he'd get to where he wanted to be, and then one more game, he, you know, it's always that like that thought, right? You you win one, and you're like, you know what, just one more game. You lose that one, you drop three steps. Yeah, if you have like a, a gambling problem or an addictive personality, I would not recommend Arena because it, it is like you can spend real money in it as well. Yep. Got to say that, even though you're not even getting the cardboard in return. Um, and then there's always more games. It's you're in the casino. There's always a game. That's a for very, you. Yeah, yeah. That's such a good simile. Man. <laughs> yeah. I'll stay away from that one. Yeah. And, Overall, I would say that the positive impact that magic has is greater than those that detract. It's just having control over that. And um, more than anything, like while this is an episode for beginners, this is if you're an experienced player and you're bringing new people into the game, it is also your responsibility to give them that knowledge or to say like, Hey, there is an inherent risk that if you're this type of person, Mm -hmm. this this can be like gambling, this can be addictive. And that's why they call it cardboard crack. Yes, for sure. So do they? Yeah. It's (laughs) It's got that name. It's got that nickname. So I like it. Yeah. Yeah. There is a definitely a financial incentive underlying the game. Uh, which, which can be dangerous. So that's one of the things, too. Like, a lot of uh, the format you should be playing or how you're dipping your toes in should be determined on, like, what is your realistic, like, responsible budget for this game? Yeah, like, I'm a, I'm a small-stakes stocks kind of guy. And so, like, when I'm looking at the financial aspect of the game and, like, I am dipping into that, it can be dangerous uh, okay. just due to, like, the risk that is inherently taken by doing that. So, like, I might be buying cards for a quarter, right? But if they end up being five cents, I might, you know, that's still an 80% loss. Yeah. Uh, you know, it might not yeah. feel like it is low stakes, right? But right. there are the times when it pays off, and I will tell those stories for the rest of my life, how I bought an $8 finale. Uh, I bought 16 $8 finale of Devastations, and now they're $50. Like, I will tell that story forever. Well, I, I mean, the point I'm trying to make is, like, if you get into EDH, uh, you know, maybe you're going to pick up a 50-ish or more uh, dollar pre-con and then invest a couple hundred dollars into upgrading it. And then hopefully you like that deck still yeah. and you keep spending those hundreds of dollars, though, upgrading it. Or maybe you like that deck, but you want to try another deck and then you're spending that money over there and there. Versus like pre-release, you're going to drop 20 bucks every couple months and you know that's it that, that'd yeah. be yeah that's the that would be the safe bet for me because what, what you were saying just before that's that's the danger zone yeah so or arena in theory if you don't uh hook up your credit card information uh can be free to play 
it limits your ability to play the game, but it can be free to play. Yes. Sorry, real quick, guys. I got to go to the bathroom. No worries. I, I mean, and I think actually, we're close to wrapping up. So. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. like a great... You run to the bat little boy's room. We'll finish up Thanks here. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here, AJ. Hi, AJ. Have fun in the bathroom. Bye. AJ, can you come back and say that all into the mic? Yeah, but AJ, can you come back? All right, we're just playing. You can keep going to the bathroom. Uh, I think that's pretty much it. Yeah, I think we covered it really well. It, it yeah. was great having AJ on here to ask those questions to mm-hmm. stimulate like a little bit more thought. Uh, and uh, yeah, I, I mean, if if any of the listeners to this podcast, uh, such as Ricky, you said Ricky? Rick, Rick, you know uh, Rick, uh, of course, Rick, Grindhouse Rick. Oh, okay, yeah, I know. I do know Grindhouse Rick actually. Yeah. Um, yeah, if any of the listeners of this podcast have any questions uh, for beginners, or even if you're an experienced player and you have questions about, like, hey, I'm trying to get this friend that doesn't play into the game, um, you, this discussion, you know, you know, raise some of the problems that I'm having getting my friend in and some of the, the barriers to entry that I'm seeing, definitely uh, pipe up in the comments or get a discussion going in the Discord. Um, it, you know, I we have a podcast about Magic the Gathering and Dr. Pepper because we love those two things. It's number one on the internet. Number one on the internet for both things. And, uh, you know, uh, part of us loving the game is we want to get our friends in the game because, you know, a big part of uh, EDH and for us and the game in general, whatever format we're playing, is just the hang sesh, right? Yeah. Hanging out with your buds, having a good time. Uh, I liken it sometimes to, like, you know, growing up, my my dad uh, used to have a monthly poker game with, you know, work buddies and, and things like that. Same deal. Just a, a different version of, of the same of the same thing. It's a game that you play, but it's for the hang sesh. Totally. You know? Yeah. hundred percent. And um, we're honestly like, I, I guess if you want to join that community, if you feel like you want to be a part of the Mock Stars community, you can actually jump on our Discord and we are we haven't been super active in the real life meetups but we want to be more active we want to have those conversations and uh if you're just trying to learn how to play the game reach out to us in the yeah. comments or whatever or if your friend showed us or if your friend showed you this episode leave a comment down below yeah we got three people on the podcast we need a fourth person to uh to play edh right yeah that's right so. and if you're that fourth person, you can also come find us in Las Vegas at Magic Con, and we will have a fourth seat available. Uh, yeah. Yeah, uh, we'll have more games. details about that as we get closer to it. Yes. Um, and that being said, if you'd like to support the show, you can find us on YouTube. Like, subscribe, hit that bell. Stay tuned for our Gavin Verhe gameplay episode. And uh, you can support us by also support us by finding us on Spotify, Audible, all the major podcasting platforms. Leave a review. Yes, please leave a review and join our Discord. Join that growing community where we're popping off, where uh, we have some exciting things. We have a lot of exciting things coming up. Uh, We're super excited to show you. We have to be a little tight lipped about it right now. But um, yeah, the, the Mock Stars podcast is on the rise. If you just like Star Wars Episode 1 references, you can join the podcast. Yeah, if you're a Sebulba fan, definitely Sebulba comes up for at least five minutes every episode, I would say, on average. (laughs) All right. I'm late to the party. All right, we got to get out of here. AJ, you're too late. All right, bye. Bye. Bye.